Welcome to the Tarleton BSM Podcast. Today, we'll be continuing our 402 series, Open Heart Surgery, a look at the attitudes of our heart. We hope you enjoy this message from our director, Clayton Bullion. Hey guys, welcome to 402. My name is Clayton. Um, so quick question, how many of you guys know the difference, the height difference between the middle of a highway and the edge of a highway. Now, not like the distance from like the middle to the edge, but like the height difference, like the elevation difference. 0.5 inches. 0.5 inches. Okay. Get a, I got 0.5 inches. Can I get 0.6 inches for over here? At least six inches. That's what Gallery thinks. Probably two feet. Okay. Some of you are like, I think this is in my major. I don't know. Um, <laughs> So it varies, but average when TxDOT builds a highway, the center of the highway is seven inches taller than the edge. And the reason they do that is so when it rains, the water runs off. Because it'd be awful if the water ran in, because then that would be like River 377 instead of Highway 377. Um, but if you notice, so like if you're ever like, hey, are my wheels aligned correctly and you're on the highway and you let go? It should always go that way. It should always, even if your tires are aligned correct, because the elevation changes. Um, so things I knew, I, I, I kind of had that feeling, um, but so when I was 15, um, I was dating a girl. I had a girlfriend at 15. Um, shocked, I know many of y'all. Um, so if I have a girlfriend at 15, you two have a chance. Um, but anyway, so this girl I was dating, her mom was trying to be the, the cool mom, and so she did things that, as a parent, I look back and go, I, was, I would never do that. Um, but essentially, as a fi- she would just gotten a brand new Mustang, and she thought, I'll be the cool mom, and I'll let the 15-year-old without a license drive the new Mustang, which by far made her the coolest mom I'd ever known. Um, and so we were headed to a bonfire um, out in the country, and so I'm cruising in a new Mustang. Um, I'm 15 without a license, um, and it's a standard, and I'm fairly good at a standard, but I'm still 15. And... Um, there's this moment where we are headed down this country road, and something happens, and I take my eyes off the road, and I look up, and I'm moving into the ditch. So I do the, the most natural thing a 15-year-old would do, and I freak out, and I overcorrect. And so I take a, a brand-new Mustang, and I kind of do this thing with it, and all of a sudden, everybody knew exactly where the bonfire was because I would created a spotlight shooting straight into the sky because <laughs> I just slid backwards into the ditch. It's fantastic. That was a fun phone call uh, to her first and then to my parents, who had no idea that I was driving illegally. Um, but I learned a couple things that night. Uh, one, that I would never be the cool parent. And my kids, significant others, are not driving my new Mustang um, that I'm not going to get. But um, I, I learned a lot that day. I learned a lot. Um, but have you ever done that? Maybe not that. If you have, this is a judge-free zone. But maybe it's been, you've been texting or YouTubing or checking Instagram, whatever you do when you're driving and you're not looking at the road, and you've looked up and you've drifted. Or you've looked up and you've drifted into oncoming traffic. Um, and it's the rumble strip that saves your butt. Or maybe it's the, uh, whoever's riding shotgun who's like hitting you or screaming for their life. Um, 
So at our house, this is how things go, or in our car. I can actually literally close my eyes while going down the highway, and I know when to stop um, because my wife is a lot more sensitive to how close we get to vehicles than I am. And so when we're 30 feet from a car, I feel this on the floorboard. And she's hitting the dashboard um, because she doesn't trust me. That's basically how that works out. Um, but I've done that. Um, and I think all of us, if we, if we, when we first started driving, you remember that, there was this moment where you were trying to, like, they're telling you to look to your side, make sure you check peripherals and things like that. And everywhere you looked, your hands followed. And it's like you never seem to, like, just be able to drive straight. And it's pretty natural because we tend to, we tend to steer where we stare. Or if we're not paying attention, we all naturally try to, try to like, steer off. Um, have you done that in your habits? Um, you thought, okay, I'll just sleep in this one day. Like, who really needs this 8 a.m.? Right? And then the email comes from the professor like, hey, I haven't seen you this semester. You may want to show up at the final. Right? Or you're like, I just, you know what? I'm not going to do leg days this day. And that was the last time you were in the gym. And that was in high school. Um, or it may, be, it may be something like, I'll just watch one episode. Yeah, some of y'all are halfway through season three <laughs> because of one episode. I'll, just, I'll just, just drift a little bit. Or maybe, have you ever found that yourself not paying attention and you start drifting, not in your habits, but in your relationships? And it's, man, they really deserve it, so I'll just get angry this one time, and I'll explode on them, and then they'll figure it out, and they'll never do that again. And so you just lose it on them. And all of a sudden, it feels like you just kind of open the door, and now anger just kind of hangs out right there. And pretty soon, your relational currency with that person is just always anger. And it just started with, like, just once. And you look up, and that relationship's in the ditch. Or maybe it's, they hurt you, and so unforgiveness turns into anger, and it turns into bitterness, and where you thought, man, six, six months ago, we were best friends, but slowly look up, and, and now we're in the ditch. Or maybe it's I'll push these physical boundaries with my boyfriend or girlfriend, and it's like, man, I'll just, like, I'll just try this out once, and pretty soon the what you would say, man, we're driving, we're, the standard was purity, and now the standard's like, ah, well, as long as we don't sleep together. And it just kind of slowly drifted into the ditch. See, most of the time, we don't, we don't even know it. Most of the time, it's a really slow fade. Um, that night, if I'd have looked up and be like, hey, I'm heading into the ditch, I need to stop, I would have stopped. Um, but usually it's not until we're in the ditch, we're like, oh, dang, that was a bad idea. I should, I should stay away from the ditch. And it's so slow and it's so subtle because oftentimes in relationships, in our habits, it's like, I'll just do it just this once. Here's, here's center and I'll just kind of go right here and this is fine. And then you look up and, and you're trying to figure out where everything's so rocky, and everything's so hard. It's because you're in the mud and you're not on the pavement. It's that relationship where it's like, this is a new person. I'm really excited about this relationship. And you look up and you've isolated yourselves completely from everybody. 
And so your best friends who said, man, I'm with you forever, and you've known them for a long time, and then a girl shows up, and all of a sudden it's like, hey, bro, you're spending a lot of time with her, and you're like, you don't know me. Don't judge me. And they're like, dude, you've known her for like three weeks. Like, we went to preschool together. Like, I know you. Like, I haven't made out with you like she has, but I know you. But it's this subtle, like, all of a sudden, you're in the ditch. And most of the time, we don't even know. And we look up after a week or a month or a year and go, oh, my gosh, this is my pattern now. This is who I am. It's like not paying attention and end up in the ditch. It's like that moment where you've tried to hang shelves or that poster in your room. And you thought it was level. And then you took a step back. And it's kind of level if you tilt your head. Our first house, real quick, our first house is a beater house. Um, It was so bad when the wind blew, the sheets on our bed moved. So totally airtight. Um, But I went through and I eyeballed everything in our house. I was like, I think that's level. If that's level, then this is level. Hung up everything. Took a step back. Oh, dang it. So then I tried to level it with the floor, and then I put an actual level on it and realized the floor was unlevel. But so many times in our lives, we think we've got it when we just like, I think it's okay, we eyeball it, but it's not until we put a level up against it. We remember what true north looks like, or straight looks like, and we realize, man, I've just come so far. And so if you're just joining us, we're in the middle of a series called Open Heart Surgery. We're looking at our heart attitudes. We're looking at what real, authentic relationships are supposed to look like. And maybe you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, and that's okay because we think that if you apply most of these principles the past couple weeks, this week, and the next couple weeks, it still leads to authentic, real relationships. Because the author of relationships is God, so he's the one who's designed it and said this is how it's supposed to be, so we can trust him and apply these things to our lives. And so we're looking at our hard attitudes, and this is not original to us. Um, Hope Church in Fort Worth kind of put this out. Harold Bullock um, kind of came up with some of these principles for these attitudes. And so the past couple of weeks, we talked about what does it look like to put the needs of someone else before yours? Last week, Megan talked about open and honest relationships. And we found that if we, she talked about living this, this authentic and real life. And, and when we talk about money, I'm talking about when you know what the real thing is, it's easier to spot counterfeit. It's easier to spot the counterfeit relationships. It's easier to spot the counterfeit attitudes within us and around us. And so it brings us tonight to kind of the big idea of what we're looking at. And that is that God asks us to give and receive scriptural correction. And I realize that's not like fun and whimsical and tweetable, but it's very true. God asks us to give and receive scriptural correction. God asks us to be able to step into people's lives and say, hey, listen, I think you're headed off into a ditch. But not only for us to say, hey, I think you're headed off the road, but to be able to open up and say, if I'm headed off the road, I need you to tell me. 
And many of us will say, well, why do I, why do I need someone to correct me? I'm, I've got this. I can do this on my own. Why is scriptural correction important? Why do we need to correct each other? Why do I need to open myself up to someone else's scrutiny? People are jerks. I don't want people telling me I'm wrong. Whatever, whatever, I can do what I want to. It's really interesting. If you've got your Bibles, flip them open or flip them on. We're going to be in Proverbs for a little bit. Actually, we're going to be all over the, book, the Bible tonight. We're going to be in Proverbs and Ephesians and all sorts of places. Um, so unless you like grew up in church and you did Bible drill and you're really good at that stuff, then we may fly past you. But we're going to make sure to put the words up on the screen um, so you can do it there. But if you're new to us or new to the Bible, the Bible is divided up into two parts, Old Testament and New Testament. Old Testament is the story of God dealing with his people called Israel. New Testament is the story of Jesus fulfilling the prophecies of the Old Testament, answering the promises of the Old Testament. His perfect life, his miracles, his death on the cross to bring us back to God. The answer to our rebellion. And then the birth of the church. But in Proverbs, it's kind of like the wisdom Twitter feed of the Old Testament Proverbs 14, 12 says this, There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it is the way of death. See, what he says is when we are left to ourselves, we always take the path of least resistance, which is always downhill. And eventually it ends in destruction. When left to ourselves, it always leads to destruction. Because we, we eyeball it, we feel like we've got it until we don't. And so God uses his people and his word to center us and keep us on track. God uses his people. This is what it says in Hebrews 3.13. It says, Being, But encourage one another daily as long as it's called today, so that none of you can be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We aren't tricked by sin when we correct and encourage each other. I need people in my life encouraging me so that the sin in my life, the rebellion in my life, the unforgiveness, the bitterness, whatever it is that I'm holding on to in my life, doesn't harden my heart towards God and his people. And so encourage each other as long as it's called today. So today is called today. So I encourage you. Tomorrow, when we get to tomorrow, what are we going to call it? Today. Okay, so you get the picture. So in 20 years, that'll be today too. So every day, our vision is to get up and say, how can I encourage someone else so that their heart is not hardened by the trickiness of sin, the subtlety of sin? And if I'm getting up and saying that, and Blaine is getting up and saying that towards me, then we can keep each other accountable. He's riding shotgun with me saying, stop, semi-truck, get off your phone, moron. Which brings us to Ephesians 4.15. Speak the truth in love. (laughs) For we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. Speak the truth, but in love, so that we grow up, so that we mature, so that we get better. In our relationship with Jesus, in our relationship with each other. So the question is, what in the world does speaking the truth in love look like? So there's four ways to speak. We've got a fun little box diagram up here. There's four ways to speak, all right? Let's say you speak not the truth. Let's say you lie, but you lie in love. 
How's my new haircut? Oh, honey, it's beautiful. Don't worry about it. Um, but let's say, let's say there's, there's love, but there's no truth, okay? It's a good way to win friends. Everybody will come and want to listen to you because you're super encouraging. The problem is, is that you really have no value because you don't build anybody up because you never call them on their ignorance. And what happens when there's no truth, it means everything is okay and nobody grows and there's nothing that centers you. And so what happens is everybody around you and you end up in the ditch, in destruction, because you've gone the way that seems right to man. But you all feel good about yourself. You're just all in the ditch and wondering why things are so awful and falling apart. So you speak the, so you have love but no truth. Let's say you have no love and no truth. Now stay away from these people. These people are awful. They destroy trust. They destroy friendships. They destroy relationships. They will use you. They will lie to you. They don't care about you. Stay away from these people. Don't be this person. I think we know who they are. Run. Now let's say it's, you speak the truth, but you have no love. So no love, but you've got truth. These people typically hurt your feelings, right? So some of you are thinkers in the room. Some of you are feelers in the room. Okay, some of you feel with your head. Some of you think with your heart. Okay, that's fun. Those are fun conversations. If you haven't started dating someone opposite than you, we'll have a relationship series sooner or later. Okay, we'll work through that. Good luck. But usually what happens is if there's truth but no love, it usually comes from a place of a pointing finger saying, you're not doing this. You need to get this right. And they're exposing your weakness not to help you with it, but to make sure that you and everybody else knows about it. Sure, they'll tell you the truth, but they don't want to help you with it. We'll go to Beach Reach here in a couple weeks, and we'll serve pancakes and do van rides outside of the biggest bar on the island. Um, and about 2 o'clock, when the bar finishes, everybody inside comes out on the streets, and it's like the walking dead. Usually it's misty on the island. It's just like straight season, end of season one stuff. It's misty. They're coming out. It's just kind of crazy. And there's a whole group of people on a ladder with a bullhorn telling them all they're going to hell. You're going to hell. Alcohol won't save you. Sex won't save you. They're looking at us going, van rides don't save anybody. You're going to hell too. And some of what they say is true because sin separates us from God. But it's got no love in it. Get better. Get better, you. But the Bible says that we are to speak the truth in love, with love, with truth. So scriptural, spiritual correction comes with a really heavy dose of truth and a really heavy dose of love. And it's authentic. And it really does care for you. You love them, and so you say the hard thing, and you do your best to maintain their feelings. Instead of a pointing finger, it's a helping hand. And it's exposing this weakness. It's exposing this wound, saying, hey, this is infected. This is festering. Let's uncover this. Let's clean this so that it can begin to heal.
That's what speaking the truth looks like. I'm letting you know what's wrong so that we can make it better. I'm not letting you know what's wrong so you can wallow in your shame over there outside the club. The question is, so if, if that's what is, the Bible says it, we could pull out 17 other scriptures, but some of us have class tomorrow, so we're going to try to make this quick. But if the Bible says it, then why do we struggle so much to take correction? One of the absolute most frustrating things that I go through as a husband and a father is when I'm working on a project at the house, and one of my kids or my wife come around and say, hey, have you thought about doing it this way? It's like, oh, leave me alone. Go do something else. Anything else. Because it, two things. One, I, I stink at plumbing, and I live in an old house, which means that anything plumbing is you've got to go all the way into the wall. Um, but it exposes my insecurity. It exposes my pride. Like, I'm a man. I should be able to do this. Um, or, I should make enough money to pay a real man to do this. <laughs> Let's be honest here. But oftentimes when someone corrects us and someone steps in and does this, it exposes our pride. It exposes our insecurity or it exposes our shame and exposes the weakness. And oftentimes we don't take it well because we, we don't assume that the person reaching out to help us really does have our best interest in mind. So my wife's a teacher. She gets a 30-minute lunch. And so once a week we try to figure out a way for us to have lunch together. And so this afternoon, I grabbed fuzzies, and there's nothing that makes a better day than my wife and fuzzies queso. And so we're having lunch, and we're having this conversation, and I was just saying, hey, Bethany, you know, trying to have real open, I'm trying to practice our heart attitudes, so I'm heart attitudes. So my open, honest conversation, so I say, hey, Bethany, I just need to let you know, man, you said something two days ago, and that really hurt my feelings. And I know you didn't mean it. I know, and she goes, well, interesting, because when you said this, this exposed blah, 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 blah. And as she began to talk, she began to just kind of uncover so many different insecurities in my life. And she's like, and when you do this, this really hurts our family. And when you do this, this really hurts me. And so she's like speaking like straight, like correction, like right. Like, and what I'm hearing is, what I'm, let me phrase that. What I'm feeling is, I'm a bad dad. I'm a bad husband. You know, when someone says you, and so you just kind of start kind of shrivel. And Bethany's picking up on this because she knows me better than I know myself most days. And she's like, Clayton, you need to know that I'm for you. And I'm not saying any of this to hurt you. And I'm cheering you on. And I just need you to know that we are a team. And I'm not going anywhere. And all of a sudden, and I know all those things. I mean, 16 years of marriage and four kids kind of prove a lot of those things. And I, But it was... Bethany did the perfect truth-love combination because she kept affirming our relationship while telling me I sucked. (laughs) And you know what? I walked away from lunch. Guys, I walked away from lunch, and Bethany said some really hard things to me. And they're all 100% accurate, mostly. But I walked away from lunch, and it was a hard conversation. And you know what happened? I was wrestling through some emotions, but I loved my wife more. And oftentimes when somebody corrects us, we struggle to receive it because we're not sure they have our best interests in mind. And so we want to be really intentional. So 
the last thing I want for you guys and for us to come out of this tonight and be like, okay, the Bible says I get to correct people. Clayton said so too. Let's get it on. All right. So, and you go home and you make the top 10, like my roommate stinks because list, you know, or you go home and you're like, I'm calling mom. Mom, listen, you're a bad mom, blah, 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 blah. Like, like I don't, this is not like fair game. Like, it's like every time we have a relationship talk, every, half of everybody breaks up. Okay, this, that's the last, you had problems before you came in here, it's not our fault. But I think it's wise when we talk about how do we receive correction and give her correction to kind of give some rules of engagement. Like, talk through, like, what does this really look like? Okay? So, if, you're, if you see, and you're walking with someone who says they love Jesus, but they're walking in this habitual kind of rebellion against God. Okay? Their mouths say, I'm a Christian, but their feet say, I don't care. And Scripture says our job is to encourage each other to do the right thing, as long as it's called today. To speak the truth in love so that we grow up in our maturity. And so the commands of God, it says, if someone's a Christian and they're not walking in that and we have a relationship with them, then it's our job to step in and say, hey, man, hey, woman, hey, girl, whatever y'all say, I don't, I'm not a girl, don't pretend to be one, I don't know what to do. But to step in and say, hey, listen, So the first thing you need to understand is when you give scriptural correction, you need to use the scripture. Otherwise, it's Clayton correction, okay, or Josh correction, or Adam correction, and and that's probably really good advice, but like, you're having a hard enough time running your own life. Why would you try to run someone else's, right? Like, you can't even get up for your 8 a.m. So the first thing you need to do is use the Bible. Open your Bible before you open your mouth. Second Timothy 3.16 says this, All Scripture is God-breathed, and it's profitable for teaching, for reproofing, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man or woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Before you open your mouth, open your Bible. And when you spend time saying, hey, I'm seeing this in your life. Man, this really goes against what I'm reading in here. For scriptural correction to work, there's got to be scripture in the correction. Number two, pray about it a lot. Before you open your mouth, open your Bible. Before you talk to them, talk to God. Ask the Lord to sift through my heart, sift through my motives. Am I just, am I wanting to just say the truth that I don't love them? Or is this really, this is what you're asking me to do? Am I the, am I the right person to do this? Because you may not be the right person to do this. You know, the person in your class that wears a cross necklace and comes in hungover and cussing like a sailor, you're probably not the right person to do this if you don't even know their name. Hey, listen, jack wagon, backslider, you don't know me, but the Bible says you're wrong. Why don't you just hit him with it? That'd be great. Just reinforce the stereotypes. 
And so part of this is, is you've got to search the Scripture saying, is, is this my personal preference or is this what God says? But then you begin to search your heart and say, God, am I in the right spot to be the one to say this? So you pray about it. And the third thing is you want to offer a helping hand, not a pointing finger. So that means when you come to them and you say, hey, listen, man, you say that you're following Jesus, but God has a standard for what sexuality looks like, and you're spending a lot of time sleeping around or sleeping with your boyfriend or girlfriend, and God says that, that sex really is designed to be in the committed relationship between a man and a woman, and I keep seeing this over and over, it means you're also going to say, hey, let me help hold you accountable. How can I walk with you out of this? What are some things that we can put in place that I can help you so this is not something that you're going to struggle with anymore, that you're going to wrestle with, that you're going to do? So before you open your mouth, open your Bible. Before you talk to them, talk to God. And you offer a helping hand, not a pointing finger. Let's say that someone comes to you. Says, Kaylee, you sorry, whatever, whatever, whatever. I, th- I see this, and you're like, you're just always angry, and I just can't believe that you're always angry. And God says, don't, be, don't let the sun go down on your anger. And man, like, you blew it for like six months. You're just an angry person. Now, Kaylee's not an angry person, unless you fix it really well. Um, but let's say someone comes to you. It's like, well, how do you respond to that? I think the first thing is it's going to take a little work because emotions are going to come up, right? Like your pride's going to come up, and you're going to have to like, swallow that. Um, your insecurity is going to come up, and you're going to want to defend yourself, and you're going to accuse them, and all these different things. But I think the first thing is like, okay, this person is trying to help me. This person is trying to help me. Have you ever seen someone at a football game, or when they're going up and down the bleachers and they fall down? Especially like, so my, my dad and my grandpa were, were like this, and I didn't realize it until I started getting old and started falling down a lot more. Um, but like, my dad fell down in the bleachers one time. Of course, like, everybody jumped up to help dad because everybody loves dad. And dad was like, no, 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 oh, oh, get off me, get off me. And he was mad the rest of the game. Not because people were trying to help him, because his pride hurt worse than his knee did. But isn't it crazy that we do that? But someone comes and says, I want to help you. And we're like, get off me. This is a person trying to help you. Proverbs 27, 6 says, the wounds from a friend can be trusted. But an enemy multiplies kisses. Oversimplified, your friends are going to stab you in the front. And sometimes your friends are going to say things that are true and it's going to hurt. But they're saying it because they want you to get better and they want to help you. Your enemies will kiss you in the front and stab you in the back. So someone who's going to take the courage to have a hard conversation with you, man, they really are trying to help. But the second thing is, you may want to say, is any part of this true? Is any of this true? Even if they say it without love, is any of this true? And you take whatever they say and you go back to the Lord and say, Lord, this person said that I'm walking in unforgiveness. Lord, is this true? 
And if it is, and the Lord says, yeah, it's true, then you need to say, all right, Lord, I'm sorry. And they may say, you're walking in unforgiveness. And you may say, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't think I am. <clears throat> then don't worry about it. Don't lose a moment of sleep over it because sometimes there's people that are just mean and they want, to t- they want to scrutinize everything you do. Don't worry about it. But if you said, all right, is any of this true and you're still wrestling with this, then that brings us to our third thing. Third thing, and you probably need to go, when in doubt, get a wise, godly second opinion. They said... They said that I'm unforgiving, and you go to someone maybe who disciples you or someone you trust who's got a relationship with God and can hear from God and say, man, and who'll shoot straight with you, who'll speak the truth in love, and say, hey, they said that I'm really struggling with unforgiveness towards my dad. Are you picking up on that? And they may say, yeah. Now listen, don't be an advice hoe. Don't run from person to person to person to person to person until you finally say someone say, no, they're crazy. You're not walking in unforgiveness. Your dad was awful. No, 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 don't do that. Go to a wise, godly person, okay? A lot of days your roommate won't qualify. It's like, well, there's this girl in my heart. She said, like, in tons of relationships, like, I could probably trust her if, my, if you know, I'm angry at my boyfriend. No, you probably can't. Find someone who's been in a lasting marriage. That's more work godly advice. And see, this is, why this, is, this is why this is so important. This is why God asks us to model it. One, because he wants us to walk with him. He wants us to walk in joy and peace and honest, open, clear relationships. In order to do that, we need other people saying, hey, pay attention. Pay attention to the road. Pay attention to the road. Pay attention to the road. You're the only driver of your life. Pay attention to the road. But the most amazing thing is, even though it's hard, the fruit of that is amazing. Because that's where we get to walk in peace and joy and hope and holiness. It's also the very first step of what we call the gospel. See, the truth is is that we are all born in the ditch. We're all born separated from God. We've all born and we've all wrecked our life through our own sin. And God steps in by sending Jesus to us saying, hey, listen, all have gone astray. Everyone has lost their path. And I'm coming to tell you that and to bring you in right relationship. It says, I pull you out of the mire of the ditch and I set you on the rock and make a pathway for you. Your word is a light into my feet and a lamp into my path. And so God's saying, I've come so that you may know the way. I am the way, Jesus says. And see, there's no gospel without scriptural correction. Because Jesus is the first one who did it. Stepped in and said, you blew it. And I love you enough not to point my finger and say, die, sucker. But I love you enough to extend my hand and bring you into a relationship with me. And so how do we know that scriptural correction works? Because if you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, it works. Because that's how you got a relationship with God. He stepped in and corrected your life. And in faith, you trusted him. 
And that's what that looks like now. So how do we apply this? I think there's two things. One, do you have a friend that you need to speak with? Don't look at them in the room. That's not fair. <laughs> They're going to be running. Um, but is there, seriously, is, you, is there someone that you need to have a scriptural conversation with? You need to open your Bible. You need to talk to God. But then the second question is, has a friend tried to do this with you and you've blown them off? Or you've stopped talking to them? Or you've said, no, I don't want that. Maybe it's time to restart that relationship and go to them and say, I'm sorry. Guys, both of those take tremendous amounts of courage. Tremendous amounts of courage. But the cool thing is, is if you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, man, he's already taken the first step. And so you just follow his example. Thank you for listening to the Tarleton BSM podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, make sure to subscribe. To keep up with everything Tarleton BSM, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Tarleton BSM. See you next time.